Our scripture reading this afternoon is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. The narrow and wide gates. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. True and false disciples, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will, my Father, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell you them plainly, I never knew you, Away from me, you evildoers, the wise and foolish builders. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Ken. Please keep your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 7 as we look at this. Let me just pray as we seek to see what God's Word says to us today. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that um, Jesus has proclaimed here. Lord, we ask that you help us to understand this truth, to hear your voice, and to apply this truth to our lives so that we can live in obedience to Christ. Father, let us hear you speak now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, back in the day, I used to love a Tesco meal deal. Who's with me on this? For those of you who don't know what a meal deal is, let me explain. You can get a a sandwich or pasta or um, sushi even in Tesco's. You get a snack, whether it's chocolate or crisps or fruit. And you can get a drink all for £3. Bargain. And you can mix up your options every time you wanted it. Now, fast forward to today. I've been diagnosed with celiac disease six years ago. And that variety has been taken away from me. I can't eat pasta. I'm limited to one sandwich that's available, if it even is available. And my choice has now gone from what kind of meal I'm going to get out of convenience to now whether I can buy a meal deal or not. Now, obviously there's more to life than just Tesco meal deals. But in life we're faced with many choices on what we believe. What is the meaning of life? What is our purpose in life? What do we make of our own lives? What are we working for? What are we seeking to live out in our ambitions and goals? And what is our chief end? Life, as Tobias mentioned earlier, is full of choices. What we do, where we live, what we eat, how we speak, who we marry, should we choose to, how we dress, who we vote for, what team we support, what we do on the weekends, and who we spend time with. But what if our options are just limited to two ways? A way to live that leads to life, and a way to live that leads to destruction. You see, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount as he gives us two ways to live. One way will lead us to judgment, condemnation and destruction. And the other will lead us into the entry of the kingdom of heaven and eternal life. And so there's two ways here, a right way and a wrong way. Now, some of you might be uncomfortable with this teaching But the thing is, we can't shy away from Jesus' words here. And if you're shifting uncomfortably in your seats right now, let me put it to you this way. Say you were at home and your house was burning down. Now you don't know this. You're unaware of the fire. But your neighbours on the outside see the danger that you're in as smoke billows out of the windows. You would want your neighbours to warn you of the danger and you should be rightly frightened enough of that warning that you would want to get out of that danger and into a place of safety and security. And in the same way, we need to carefully listen to Jesus' words here and to take his words seriously as well. Because if we neglect this warning, it can lead us to foolishly neglecting the consequences of an unrighteous life before God. And rejection from the kingdom that we have been called into. So we have a decision that we must make. 
And we'll look at these choices in segregation that we see here in Matthew 7. But what we see is that these choices are one and the same. And we must decide whether we want to follow the way that leads to life or the way that leads to destruction. And so the first choice that we need to see is that there are two paths to take. Two paths to take. And we've all had those moments of what way, of which we try to work out which way to go in life. What job do we want to take? What house do we want to buy? What university do we want to study in? And when trouble hits us, do we stay or do we go? But the choice here that Jesus gives is more than just proverbial wisdom calls in life. Look at the entry pass in verses 13 to 14. Now we're told to enter through the narrow gate. Now this narrow gate is small, it's constricting. If you try to squeeze through it with plenty of baggage, you would struggle. I actually remember one time uh, trying to get off um, the doors of the bus when going to school one day. And the doors started to close on me as I tried to squeeze through. And because of the bags I had on me, my PE kit, my school bag, my HE um, ingredients, I got stuck in the doors and the bus started to drive off with me hanging there on the back end of it. Now you might have had a similar experience yourself on the underground as the doors close in. You're trying to squeeze through there just in the last moment. You see, when you're trying to squeeze through a narrow gap, the more you carry, the harder it is to get in. But the other gate is wide. Looks easy to take, doesn't it? Well, what's the problem with this wide gate? Well, look at the problem in verse 13. The problem is the destination. You see, the path that's wide and the gate that's wide and easy to enter leads to destruction. It's a path that's well walked. And the other path, despite its, ball, or despite its small entry and its narrow trail, that path leads to life. And the path that Jesus encourages us to walk on is not an easy path. It requires sacrifice. You see, to enter the broad path means that we can take on plenty of spiritual and emotional baggage with us. We can hold on to our sin. We can hold on to our addictions. We can hold on to our idols. We can hold on to our resentment and our grudges. We can hold on to everything which causes us more and more to look selfishly in towards ourselves and less towards God. Now many of us will say that we don't want to hold on to what we cling so tightly to. I mean, I don't want to hold on to these things. I don't want to be resentful in my heart. I don't want to cling on to idols. And yet the fact of the matter is, I do. And you do as well. But if we are encouraged to throw off everything that weighs us down and enter the narrow path, and then we discover it's hard, it feels like an enormous task. And we can be very tempted to turn back and run to what we left behind as well. But as Jesus reminds us here in verses 13 to 14, it's not the journey that matters. It's the destination. And one of the things that can hold us back from walking this path is the company we keep as well. 
I remember when I first became a Christian when I was 13. And the last group of people in school that I wanted to hang out with were the Christians. The Bible bashers. The Jesus freaks. I didn't want to hang out with the scripture union crowd. Instead I wanted to hang out with my non-Christian friends. But I found out that the more time I spent with them and doing everything they did, the more I started to realise that I longed to stay on the broad road as well. Now let me turn that on you. Is that what stopped you walking the narrow path? Now the popular opinions of the world might be persuasive. They might be enticing. But the gate that many enters, that gate of easy living, it leads to destruction. And the way of the gospel is unappealing to many. But look at the reward in verse 14. The gate is small and narrow, but the road leads to life. But to enter that life, we need to throw off everything that withholds us from entering to begin with. Whether it's unhelpful company, whether it's our bad habits, our attitude to sin or other people, and our selfish nature that hinders us from entering the kingdom. We need to drop all of that at the gate and enter it to find life. Now I'm going to pause at this moment here about this thought. We're going to come back to this thought. We're going to rewind back to it. Because we're going to think about what this gate actually is and what it means. But Jesus quickly takes our attention from the gate to two other ways that we must contend with. And so if we have two paths that we need to choose from in verses um, 13 to 14, we see in verses 15 to 20 that we have two voices to hear. And look at verse 15 with me here. And as we look at verse 15 here, Jesus warns us to watch out for those who dress up as sheep. But they come as wolves to devour and to meet their fill. Now we won't recognize them immediately because they're dressed up. But we will once we know their fruit. That's because, look at verse 17. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And bad trees and bad fruit aren't immediately easy to recognize. And I don't think Jesus is speaking about the difference between knowing what a nectarine and a peach is or knowing what an orange or a grapefruit is. When I worked in the shop, I was struck by um, how many kids didn't pay attention when they went through the fruit and veg aisle. They didn't care less, even with all the bright colors and whatever they saw. But as soon as you went down the sweets aisle, and parents, you know this feeling all too well. As soon as you go down the sweeties aisle, that's when the questions start coming. Daddy, can I have this? Mommy, can I have this? Oh, I really need this. What happens when you say no? Temper tantrums start flying, don't they? And you see, the reason of this is because you can give them a piece of fruit once. And it may be the best experience they'll ever have. But give them the exact same piece of fruit from the same... um, whether it's an apple or a peach or whatever it is, and it can taste absolutely rotten to them as well. You see, we've all had negative experience with bad fruit, haven't we? 
We picked it up. We've looked, it looks fresh. We bite into it and it's sour or worse. There's maggots growing in it. You see, we know what bad fruit is by its taste. Sweets always taste good, but they're not good for you. Neither is rotten fruit. Jesus is warning us here that we must be careful by what fruit we seek to spiritually ingest. If we ingest bad fruit that comes from a bad tree, spit it out. Spit it out. Because the aim of that teaching, or the bad fruit that comes from these false teachers, is that they want to devour you. They want to destroy you and take from you the promise and hope of eternal life. And here's the thing. The problem that Jesus speaks about here might be more easily recognized today by some of us. We can easily switch on our tellies and turn over to the God Channel or TBN and see that it's full of nonsense made to empty our wallets. And if we see what's going on in the Church of England today, we see that things are spiraling more and more towards a certain destination. And when we see these things, we have to wonder, what is the chief end of these things? Is it God's glory? Or is it man's fill? You see... Knowing these people for their fruit isn't just tasting their teaching and seeing if it's palatable. Because just like sweets, that teaching could still be fake and just as bad for you. And false teaching, whether we realize it or not, will tickle our ears if it appeals to our senses and our idols. But once we know this danger, once we've eaten it, it might be too late. But the mark of true teaching that seeks to both honour God and his goodness, seeks to honour his good and true intentions for the world he's created, even though this world has been ruined by sin and God wants to restore it to its original beauty. This is what true teaching will do. This is what good fruit is that Jesus is imploring us to find. But also how we can know true life that few may find as well. That teaching is unpopular. That teaching is costly. But it is the good fruit that leads to more fruit. Whereas bad fruit corrupts and destroys our souls. God in his judgment here in verse 19 to 20. He destroys everything that's bad through fire. Where it can never regrow. And anything that's corrupt will be destroyed. And so we will both do well to listen carefully to Jesus' voice in what he says and take comfort in knowing that God deals justly and rightly with those who seek to destroy and kill for their own pleasure. Well, so far we have two paths, we have two voices, but thirdly we have two wills to follow in verses 21 to 23. Look at them with me. Now Jesus pulls no punches here. Back in chapter 6, Jesus spoke out about those who lived thinking that they belonged to the kingdom, but really they had no part in it at all. And the terrifying thing about this is that everything they do gives the impression that they are. They might look the part, they might know what to say, 
Look at verses, the verse 22. They will say, did we not prophesy and drive out demons and perform merry miracles? Look at verse 23. No matter what they do, despite those things, Jesus still tells them to get away. Jesus tells them to depart because he never knew them. They're evildoers. Their actions speak louder than their words. Or they say the actions speak louder than words. But the words of Jesus speak far louder than these people's actions themselves. Because Jesus' words have more meaning than any action of any pretender. You see, the pretender seeks to follow their own will. And utilize the power of God for their own fame and fortune. We see this actually back in the book of Acts. Where the sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19. They try to use the name of Jesus to drive out demons for their own fame. But unfortunately for them, they failed. And their motive in in Acts 19 is similar here to what we see in verses 15 to 20 as well. You see, either they're just like the false teacher who is in it for their own gain, or they themselves are a byproduct of false teaching and a fallen file to bad fruit. They assumed they're part of the kingdom, but they failed to listen and obey God's word. And as a result, Jesus says here clearly, they're banned from entry into the kingdom. Now, the Jewish audience must have been shocked upon listening this, or hearing this. They believe they have the right to get into the kingdom of heaven. But you see, the entry now has new requirements. It's no longer based on who you are or what you can do. But it's based on who you know. And more importantly, who knows you. Earlier I said um, that we were going to think about the relevance of the gate. And what we find out at this moment is that the gate and the gatekeeper are one and the same person. How can we know what this narrow gate that leads to life? How can we know what what is a good tree that bears good fruit? How can we know entry to the kingdom? We can know Through listening to the voice of the teacher. Who not only teaches us what the kingdom is like in his Sermon on the Mount. But he encourages us to see who he is in doing so. He is the gatekeeper. He is the one who authorizes entry by his word. Look at verse 23 again. Notice how Jesus doesn't say that the Father will turn them away from entry into the kingdom. Look at verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. These are strong words from Jesus. But it's the truth that we have to accept. If Jesus doesn't know you, And if you don't know who Jesus is, then you can't be part of the kingdom. And if you're not part of the kingdom, where will you end up? 
Will you end up on the highway to destruction and hell? Will you end up standing like um, you've been rejected from a club in London Bridge? Or will you end up on the Woodstock pile waiting for the furnace? You see, this, see, here's the thing. You're either in or you're out. And it's not like there are multiple choices um, or ways to get in to find your fill. There's only one way. Jesus himself says in John chapter 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, this is the Father's will. This is how we can do the will of the Father who is in heaven. We know the Father's will by confessing Jesus is Lord. And knowing Jesus is Lord, we know God as our Father. And knowing God as our Father, we have life. So my challenge to you is this. If you haven't entered the gate already, will you enter the gate via Jesus? Will you enter the gate via Jesus? Or will you reject him and try to find another way in? The problem with the narrow path that leads to life is that there are no fences to climb over. There's no shortcuts to be found either. There's only one way. One way, one tree, one Lord. And as we see in our last point as well, one foundation. Look at verses 24 to 27. Jesus says these words very clearly. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Now throughout the Sermon of the Mount we've heard many difficult sayings. As we've delved into the heart of man before God. Particularly as we cross-examine the law and we see how we have all fallen short. How we are to come before God in prayer. How we are to trust him with everything we need. But here's the thing. And we've seen this time and time again ourselves. We can't do this alone. We can't. We can't do it by ourselves. It's impossible. It's impossible to please God because we are sinful human beings who need him to help us by transforming us to be like him in order just to please him. So how is this possible? Well, in verse 24, we see both the application and the conclusion to this sermon. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against it. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. 
You see, we enter the gate and we follow the way who is Jesus. And in doing so, we put our trust in him and we build our lives upon Jesus. It's not only in the promises of Jesus, but in Jesus himself, where those promises are fulfilled, that we find safety, safety, we find refuge, and we find peace and security because he is an immovable foundation. Now, this is not an easy message. Because many of us, even though we are given this free gift right here from Jesus, we'd rather try and find our own way, an easier way. Because the way of Jesus is hard. I used to be a builder. I know what it's like to dig a foundation into rock. You need a jackhammer to begin with, amongst many other things. And it seems so narrow-minded to many people as well. Why would we want to do that when there are so many other ways that seem better? But to those who take that road, there's light and life at the end of the tunnel. Those who realize that they're spiritually bankrupt. Those who realize that they're dead in sin. Those who humbly come before Jesus in meekness, seeking his forgiveness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness of Christ. Those who put their faith in him and live out their lives in gospel-hearted adoration. As they show mercy and love. As they show kindness and compassion. And are persecuted and hate for everything they do because they love this saviour who died to save them as they love Jesus. These are the people who enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to be part of that crowd? Do you want to know true, satisfying, eternal life? Do you want to be part of the few that find that narrow road that leads to life? Well, you have to enter through the narrow gate of Jesus and Jesus alone. But if you try to make it your own way on the broad path, you'll end up like the builder who built on sand in verse 26. And much like the way the culture around us constantly shifts, it changes over time. The sands also shift in the storm. And when the storm hits, the sands that were unstable led to the house falling down. Now throughout the Old Testament, we see that stormy weather is often used as a picture for God's judgment. We see this particularly in the Psalms as the writer proclaims how the waves and breakers crash over them as if they're facing the wrath of God. And it seems fitting then that when the storm of judgment comes to those who are on the broad road and try to make their own way, whether it's listening to their own voice or listening to the voice of others and feeding on their bad fruit, what we find is that these people, when the storms come, they lose absolutely everything. And the reality that Jesus is telling us is that a storm is coming. That storm is God's judgment to deal with corruption and sin. And there's only one thing that can stand between us and the thunderclouds of God's wrath. And it's the cross where Jesus took the punishment for our sin in love. See, this is a hard message to take. But there is wonderful hope in it for us. 
If we come to Jesus as we are, and if we trust in him for our forgiveness of sins, if we want to enter his gate of freedom from sin and judgment and walk in his narrow way that leads to life, in Jesus there is the hope of life because he has dealt with that reality of what is coming for us in God's judgment. And Jesus not only helps us in dealing with that storm, but he helps us on that path as well. We're not left to our own devices to work out how to walk on this path. We don't need to listen to the voices of anyone. Jesus gives us his word and his spirit to help us to follow As we follow, that should unite us and encourage us to keep pointing each other to Jesus day in and day out. And we should encourage each other to walk on that narrow path that leads to life and joy. It's not about looking to the left where we see freedom from sin so we can do whatever we want. It's not about looking to the other side and seeing that law that we have to try and keep to with with everything that we have in order that we don't lose our salvation. We are to keep our eyes pointed straight forwards to the prize that lies ahead of us. We, through the help of God's word, through the help of the promises of Jesus, through the spirit who is at work in our lives and the spirit who helps us to encourage each other, we are to turn our eyes to Jesus, who is our life, who is our light, who is our prize as well. It's only in Jesus and knowing Jesus as Lord that we can enjoy the good fruit that comes from a spirit-filled life and a life that leads to life and joy. So what choice are you going to make? This doesn't call for sitting on the fence, by the way. There's no option C, there's no plan B. There's no phone a friend or ask the audience. This calls for your own personal response. Jesus challenges us with the authority that no one else has to respond to his word. So what path will you take? Whose voice will you listen to? Whose will do you submit to? And where will you build your life? There's only two ways. One way leads to death and destruction, whilst the other leads to restoration and life. We are to enter through the narrow gate. The way is narrow and few find it. But those who do, those who listen to Jesus, who obey his will and build their lives upon him, will find life in his name. Let's pray. Now, if you're hearing this message for the first time and you want to make that um, step forwards in faith now, you want to decide and make that choice to follow Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is your friend and he cares for you, if you um, call upon him for help right now, if you believe him to save you from sin, fear and depression, if you confess him as Lord, if you believe that he will cleanse you and make you a new person, then all I'm asking is simply to trust him with faith right now. And as I pray, I'm going to pray a simple prayer here. A prayer that was used to lead a prisoner to Christ in a prison in Belfast 40 or 50 years ago.
And it's a prayer that if you pray it now, you too can know this life in Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, with my mouth I confess my sins, my selfishness, in living my own way and not your way. Please forgive me. Wipe my slate clean and give me a new life to begin. I renounce the devil and all his ways, and here and now I receive Christ as Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a hunger to read the living word of God and teach me how to pray. Thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're still not sure about this, then please feel free to speak to me. Speak to um, someone here who brought you along. Or um, speak to anybody who'd be willing to hear you out. They can maybe even point you in the right direction as someone who'd be able to help you about the decision you have to make. But let's take Jesus' word seriously here. For it's in his name that we have life and life alone. Amen.